0: I did a lot of resting in my first five years of teaching, so I gave a lot of comprehension questions. But here's the thing, there's no teaching involved. There's no teaching involved when you're assigning comprehension questions. The other problem with comprehension questions is that it gives kids a misconception about what comprehension is. What is comprehension? It is not finding the right answer. It is not literal. Comprehension is constructing meaning. But if you're just giving kids literal comprehension questions to answer, they're not learning to construct meaning. They're learning what I learned. You don't even have to read to get 10 out of 10. How do you do that? How many people learn the strategy? You read the question first, and then you go and you find the answer right in the text. And then you turn the sentence around and you get it correct. Reading comprehension and no one is reading, and they're getting 10 out of 10. Okay, that's not, that's not working for me. So, 10 years, 15 years ago, the shift was, we are moving away from doing this. We are now going to teach comprehension. Not do comprehension, but actually teach it. And that involves us. And this is really what Reading Power was. It was the beginning of trying to get teachers to understand that making sense of a text doesn't happen by giving kids comprehension questions. It happens when you teach them how to think through the text, not find the right answer in the text. So I'm going to quote myself here because I'm allowed. I'm allowed to quote myself. Here we go. The bottom line is that there is a huge difference between doing reading and teaching reading. All students need support in becoming better at reading and understanding, but they will not move forward in their reading skills if they are not being taught specific strategies in which to do so. So reading power was about teaching the strategies of comprehension. Um, the strategies of comprehension, if we look at this really quickly, reading skills can be broken into two main branches. We have decoding and we have comprehension. Decoding skills are taught primarily in the early primary grades. And if you think, how many, hands up if you're a K-1-2 teacher in this room. Okay, uh, this is my belief. I think grade one teachers should be paid more. (laughs) And I think that they should have one more year of training.
1: I, I do. I think they are probably
0: grade one is the most important teaching year for reading of all of them. Mm -hmm. Think about how many instructional minutes a grade one or two teacher spends on decoding skills. It adds up to a lot. So the question is, if reading is both reading words and understanding words, are we equally spending time teaching the comprehension? Well, 15 years ago, the answer was no, we weren't. We were teaching decoding skills. We were assuming they understood it. But we have all had kids in our room who are, we would define, master decoders. They can read through a passage, but they're not engaged, they're not connecting, they're not constructing meaning. Why is that happening? It's because our instruction is not balanced. We are teaching one side of this chart, we're not teaching the other. So, that's what Reading Power did. It helped to bridge the balance. It helped to bring up the comprehension instruction, especially in intermediate grades. And I was an intermediate teacher who believed, I don't have to teach reading. My kids already know how to read. But that is a complete falsehood. Every classroom teacher needs to teach reading everyone does. So, David Pearson is my man, no matter how important code is, it is not the point of reading. So his research is what I based my work on. And his research said, children who are reading proficiently are all using a set of strategies when they're reading. This is what a good reader Uses. This is what a good reader's brain is doing. A good reader makes connections. A good reader asks questions. A good reader is able to visualize a text that has no pictures. Who would say that they're a visual reader? Does anyone in here would define themselves as a visual reader? Here's how you know you're a visual reader. You read a novel and then you go to a movie and you're sitting in the movie theater and you're like, no,
1: that's not right because you
0: visualized it but it's not what you see. Inferring, another strategy that uh, proficient readers use, determine importance, analyzing and synthesizing and monitoring comprehension which means you don't skip a line when you're reading out loud and just keep going. How many of you have ever had a child do that? They read, they skip a line accidentally and they keep going, they don't even notice they've skipped the line. (laughs) (laughs) Monitoring comprehension means you know you don't know. And so there's your list. David Pearson, as I said, my man, my hero who did this research that I used to kind of fill this gap for myself. This is what teaching reading comprehension can look like. This is what good readers do, this is what we need to teach our children. So this was kind of the birth of reading power. My school kind of was sort of at a point where we were looking at how do we improve comprehension. And I was thinking, well, this could be a way in. Here are some strategies, why don't we try to use these to help our children improve in their comprehension. So, I chose five from that list of strategies, and a lot of people think that I made those words up. I did not. They came directly from this very important man and this very important research. So, Reading Power was born. Five strategies we began teaching. I just called them reading power, because comprehension instruction does not sound very fun to kids. (laughs) So reading power sounds a little bit more interesting. So that's how reading power started. Five strategies, why five? Because if I had handed out this list to my staff, they would have went, no, that's too many. (laughs) So I picked five because I wanted the buy-in. And my principal said, we're starting this, Adrian. Start it simple, make it kind of user-friendly. So that was what I did. I picked five, and I thought we teach for 10 months, so we're gonna spend a couple months on connecting, a couple months on questioning, a couple months on visualizing, and so forth. Transform, just for your information, which is very important in my new book, transform is that idea of synthesizing and analyzing text. It's sort of the second from the bottom here. But I use the word transform, because I felt like it was more child friendly. Here's the interesting thing about transform. I often get teachers saying to me, "Oh yeah, I just kind of ran out of time with the tra- I just I didn't get to it. I didn't get to transform. Transform is probably the hardest strategy to teach because it is very abstract. And so one of the things I did when I did my second edition is I really went back in there and tried to really find ways to help help teachers teach that. And because of that new thinking about transform, that's kind of bridging into my new book. So you'll see how that unfolds. So Reading Power is based, if anyone is doing university work right now, um, Reading power is based on what we would call a constructivist theory. As opposed to a behavioralist theory, which focuses more on decoding for speed and accuracy. Constructivist theory would be more of the idea that we are teaching kids to construct meaning. And constructing is building. And when you build something, you're putting pieces together to create. And so when we're teaching kids reading, what we're doing is we're helping, to, helping them to understand that reading is about what is in the book with what is already in their heads. The, those two things together creates understanding. So it's book plus thinking. So if we were drawing a picture of it for children, which I often do because I'm very visual, this is what reading looks like. You're reading the book, but you have to add your thinking to the text because reading happens in two places. It happens in the book because we're eyes, our eyes are on the words and our hands are holding. So it's happening in the book, but it's also happening in our heads. And the, the problem is that we can't see that part. We can see the book, so we're, we're focused on that. But the thinking, we have to pay attention to. And so that's this idea of metacognition. Helping kids understand that reading isn't just about what the, what's in the book, but it's about what you bring to the book to help make sense of that text. So, metacognition is a really important concept for reading power. And we all say, thinking about your thinking. That's a term, that's a phrase I think most of us know. But what does that actually mean? Thinking about your thinking. Before you can think about it, you need to know that it's there. So I say step one of metacognition is awareness. You have to know that reading is not just the book, but it's your head. So in a kindergarten class, I'll go in and I'll say, boys and girls, did you know that reading actually happens in two places? It happens in the book, and it happens in our heads. The book we can see, but we can't really see what's in our heads. That's why we have to really pay attention to that thinking. Then once you have the awareness, you have to use it, so you have to start connecting and questioning and visualizing. But here's the part about metacognition lots of people leave out. You have to be able to talk about your thinking. How do kids describe books that they read? Here's how a child most often will describe how a book. I really liked this book, it was good. I really liked this book, it was so funny. Those are the only ways that they have to describe the language of what, they, they don't have the language. So what metacognition does is it gives language to thinking. And so it it enables children to be able to talk about their thinking. So when I teach metacognition to children, I do a little mini lesson. And I'll say, okay, boys and girls, we're going to talk about thinking. But before we really delve into the topic, I'm going to give you a little exercise to do. So get your pencil ready, get your paper, no talking, no picking. You don't have to do this. I'm just, this is what I do with kids. Could everyone please draw a picture of an apple? Go. So they all spend, give them 15 seconds. So they all draw a picture of an apple. Share and compare your apple picture with your partner. Oh, that's so exciting. So we all look at everyone's apple. And then I'm going to ask them a few questions about the apple. But the conclusion of this little short activity is we all knew how to draw an apple why here's the big big question why why could we all draw a picture of an apple
1: because we all know what it looks
0: like we've eaten it touched it tasted it we have a connection to it perfect okay get your pencil ready i'm going to give you part two of this little exercise could you please draw a picture of thinking (laughs) now primary children don't blink when i say that intermediate kids go huh and they all complain but most of them quickly then decide oh actually I know what that is I'm going to draw one of these and that's a really interesting thing to talk about because this thinking bubble is a symbol right? it's a symbol for thinking but it's not really a picture of thinking is it because a thinking bubble is showing thinking happening in the air thinking does not happen in the air does it where does thinking happen grade fours It happens in our heads. So I'm going to give you a few more minutes, just one more minute, and on your paper I want you to draw a picture of what you think thinking looks like when it's actually happening. So then there's a little bit of quiet, all drawing, and then you're going to get quite a few things like this. Right? And your picture of thinking and someone else's picture of thinking look completely different. Why? So here's now my reflection. This is the key to the lesson. We all drew a picture of an apple and most of us had an almost identical picture. But when we drew a picture of thinking, it was a little bit more challenging. Why? Because we don't know what thinking is looks like. And so there lies a bit of a problem because we all know the importance and the value of thinking, but we don't know what it looks like. So I can say to you grade fours, you need to read and you need to think. But you're probably going to say to me, but Miss Gear, what does thinking look like? What does thinking look like? That is the question of the day. So, When Reading Power was starting, this was bothering me a lot because I had a child come and read to me and then I asked him a few questions and he couldn't answer one of them. And I said, aren't you thinking when you're reading? And that was the question he asked me, what does thinking look like? So I designed these Reading Power posters. Now the funny thing about these posters, when Reading Power first came out, Every teacher wanted a poster, I want a poster, I want a poster. But now 10 years in, I think people don't remember why they bought that poster. What is it for? This poster was designed to help children understand what does thinking look like. So in a classroom, you are putting those little pieces, connect, question, visualize, infer, and transform, into the brain of the child when you're teaching the different strategies, to give them a visual, making thinking visible, and the key is giving it a language. Mm -hmm. Give thinking a language so we can talk about it. So this was really important to me, this visual, but I don't think all teachers quite got it. And sometimes when I visit schools now, honestly I feel like it's like, the gift your mother-in-law bought you you bring out. When she comes, it's like, Adrian, here's coming to our school. Where's my poster? And then it's like they slap it out. But they don't really get it. This is the key to metacognition. Making thinking visible and giving in a language. You don't have to have this exact poster. The grade seven teacher at my school said, I'm not putting that kid on my wall. He looks like he's five. So this is his.
1: Right? It doesn't have
0: to be that particular poster. But the key is make thinking visible. I love this. This was sent to me from by a young new teacher from Nunavut who's teaching on a band in a band school and she said I didn't have a poster, but I took pictures of my kids, middle school kids, and she said we just kind of made our own poster. I love that. It's so awesome. You can do that with your own class. So it's not about that physical poster, but again, it's that what does thinking look like. So that's question number one. Here's question number two. What does thinking sound like? And so this is where we use the language of thinking in our classrooms all the time, where you, this is an anchor chart, you can have this in your classroom, but it's a way of articulating thinking, modeling thinking, using the language of thinking all the time. Wow, when I was reading this book, I was really wondering about this, or I'm making a really big connection to this story, and you're using the language all the time. Excuse me, all the time. So we have a really important role in this, We're not sitting at our desks taking a rest. We are interacting with books, modeling, modeling, modeling. So when you are doing a read aloud, you are no longer calling it a read aloud. You're doing a read aloud, think aloud. And you're intentionally planting the seeds of thinking into the book. So children are learning that reading isn't just what's going on here, but you're adding your voice, your thoughts to the text. So lots of lots of kind of interactive uh, experiences that the children are, are hearing us talk about. Um, and because I'm so passionate about children's picture books, one of the other things that I tried to do for teachers when we were starting out is to give them books that they could use for each of the lessons. So if you're teaching connecting, here are some great connect books. If you're teaching visualize, here are some great visualizing books. So this is a photo of our school library and we have these little tubs and this is not an essential thing but it really helped children, I could really help teachers kind of find their kind of find their way when they're doing these lessons, they knew that they had anchor books that they could use for each of these lessons. So usually you would, you know, do a couple of visualizing lessons to really get kids to kind of understand visualizing. It's not just a one-off lesson. You're building, building, building. So those are just kind of the way we structure the books. Um, And then the last thing I want to share with you just about reading power that's going to take us into the new book One of the things that I'm always being asked and that I'm always thinking about is how do we assess reading? How do we formally assess reading? What diagnostic tools do we use? And how do we informally kind of get a sense of our kids as readers? Where are they on the spectrum or scale of understanding? So I put together this kind of three-level scale that has really helped me So just, I want you to just visualize that you're sitting at your desk and you've invited one of your students to come and read with you. So this would be an informal reading conference, maybe it lasts five minutes. But while everyone's silent reading, possibly you're going to be trying regularly to have these little mini conferences with kids. Because it's our job to know where they are. And then based on our findings, we're going to help those kids in certain areas. So one of the things that I want to know is, can this child read the passage and understand what it was? So I call level one, level one comprehension, literal. Can you read the book and tell me what was in the story. Beginning, middle, end, if it's a story, or main idea and summary if it's a nonfiction passage. Okay, so that's a literal level of understanding. I'm not saying that's a low level of understanding. I'm just saying it's level one, but I'm going to tell you there are some kids who come and read to me, and they cannot tell me what they just read. So they wouldn't be kind of yet on this scale. I'm not saying it it's easy to be a literal reader. There are some skills involved. 15 years ago, if a child could come and read to me and tell me what was in the book in a summary, I would say, oh great, well done, go to the next level or however you want to do it. But a literal understanding of text is not enough for me anymore. I wanna know what, don't just tell me what was in the book because I read it too. What are you thinking about that book? So the level two, I call interactive level of understanding, which means that a child can read, tell me what was in the book, but also tell me what they're thinking about that book. How do you find that out? You do a little prompting, simple prompts. Can you tell me a connection you were making to this story? What does it remind you of? Or you might say, what are you wondering about this book? Or you might say, if you close your eyes right now and think about the story, what picture do you visualize? You want to have them be able to tell you what's up here as well as what's down here. They're not going to be able to do that unless we've taught them those strategies. So That's very important. We have to teach them. Level three, and again I keep saying this, this is a very important part of my new book. This third level. An integrated level of understanding means that something in their little brains have shifted. (laughs) And their brains are saying this, Wow, you know, I never thought about that before. Or I had never thought about it like that before. transform, we can call it synthesize, we can call it a rethink. But the fact is that sometimes when we read, something in the book just triggers a little shift in our understanding. And so we can say, I never thought about this before, but I'm never going to think about it that way again, because I have some new understanding to this. So the difference between the first level and the second level and the Pardon me, the difference between the first level and the third level is huge. One is a retell, the other is a rethink. So they're on totally different opposite ends of the thinking spectrum. So we would never expect a grade two or four child to be at an integrated level of understanding at the beginning of a school year if we hadn't slowly helped them to get there. So how do we help them? move from a literal understanding of text to an integrated level of understanding text. This is a very simple thing you can do in your class with anything you're reading, fiction, nonfiction. it's called the what-so-what. And the what-so-what is dealing with level 1, literal, level 2, integrated. So when you're reading a passage in your class, either maybe it's a science textbook that everyone's looking at, Maybe you're reading a story to somebody, to your class. Maybe everyone's got a little newspaper article that you're reading. Whatever it is you're reading, the key is everyone has a coffee in front of them, but you are reading out loud. That's important, you're reading aloud. This is a guided reading lesson. So we're going to read the first three paragraphs. And on those first three paragraphs, you're going to turn and tell the person beside you, what are the two most (coughs) important facts? That we should put on the left side of this chart. Remember, the left side is what is the book telling us. So this was a, a grade five class, and we were reading a science textbook, and we were reading about how animals, creatures on the west coast of British Columbia adapt to their environment. And there was three paragraphs about starfish, sea stars, when they lose an arm, a new no one grows back, and that was called regeneration. So after we read the passage and the kids did a little talking, we came together to come up with those two points. I'm directly writing it on the chart stand or I'm typing it into the smart board, so those facts are visible. But before we keep reading grade fives, we're going to add our thinking. Because remember, good readers don't just pay attention to the book, but they pay attention to their thinking. So I would like you to think about that. Starfish, arm comes off, new one grows back. Are you wondering anything about that? Are you making a connection? Are you visualizing? Are you saying the word maybe in your thinking? If you say the word maybe, you're actually inferring. Maybe is my favorite inferring word. Okay, so here are four different children from this class who after they turned and talked to their partner Who would like to share? And so the four children I pick, they speak, I write. How long does it take for the arm to grow back? Does it only happen once for each leg and then they're out of luck? That reminds me of worms because when you cut them in half, they grow again. There's a connection, right? Too bad that doesn't happen to humans. If it did, I bet soldiers wouldn't be so scared to go to war. Okay, that's a wow. Is that not a wow? Mm -hmm. I call those goosebump moments in your class, when a child just says something so profound, kind of takes you a little bit by surprise. Now that is a perfect example of transform or kind of integrated level of understanding. Why? Because this child has taken their thinking away from the starfish. And he's thinking about something in a different way. He's thinking, wow, if we could figure out the starfish phenomenon and then help humans, then wow, like that's amazing. Like, can you see his little brain kind of turning? Now, the amazing thing about this child is he is a, in my class or in the class I was working in, he's a struggling reader. Imagine that, he's a struggling reader. This is a science class, so he's in my room. But normally in reading block, guess where he is? He's with the support teacher because this boy is a struggling decoder. But here's the key about this whole why I'm showing this to you. A struggling decoder is not always a struggling thinker. But what happens is they get burdened by the text in front of them. So they can't get into the text. So, this is what I love about reading power lessons like this. I am reading out loud. I am removing the decoding burden from that child for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, look what he can do. So, this is a really important thing just to keep in the back of your mind. When you're describing a child in an assessment or to parents as a struggling reader, let's be really clear where the struggle is. Are they struggling with code? Or are they struggling with thinking? Now, I'm not going to turn around and give this child an A because he still cannot decode and he's in grade 5. But I can certainly make a comment while still struggling to decode at grade level, so-and-so is demonstrating a high degree of comprehension and deep thinking. Because that was not just kind of a random one-off. This child thinks this way. But he is never in the room when we're reading. I mean, it's just kind of one of those things that it's just really important to keep that in mind. Okay, so we've got what, so what. You can do that after you do a few guided lessons. The children can often go and take their own passage, their own what, so what, and try this independently. And then you can kind of read, okay, how well are they literally understanding the passage? How well are they interacting with the passage? Those are really great resources, the 3 2, one Levels for Success, Evan Moore Publishing, and they are really good for helping us with the one-page passages that you can photocopy. The good thing about that book is for every topic, there's three different reading levels, high, medium, and low. So it's really good for differentiating your, for your class. Okay, so we've got What, So What, which is literal and interactive. But we still have one more level to help our kids. How are we going to nudge them to the next level? So it goes like this, what, so what, now what are you thinking? And the now what is really important for helping kids with that third level of understanding, that transform. And this is going to play a huge role in our new book, in the new book. But the now what is really, is basically that transform part. How do you help them with that? How do you help nudge them to that place? And anytime time I'm asking myself, how am I gonna teach that lesson? My answer is always find a book. Find a book to nudge their thinking. Because no, no other way have I found in all my years of teaching to help kids think deeply than with picture books. And so I'm gonna show you what this would look like. So, this is a three-part lesson. Part one, part one I'm gonna read this book, Martin Jenkins' Ape. It is a non-fiction, very simple, interesting book about different kinds of apes in the world. There are chimpanzees, orangutans, gorillas, all these different kinds of apes in the world. And so on day one, we are reading literally. And on a chart stand, the children are gathered in partners and each group has a different one of these uh, apes from the book. They're reading it and they're trying to find out the most important ideas. So we're extracting the information. It's like note-taking. And they're going to come over and we've got a huge chart stand on the wall and they're putting up all the facts they learned, literal facts about apes. Well done, that's so great. So interesting, I learned a lot. But now we want to nudge their thinking a little bit. So the next day, I'm going to read to them the true story of Ivan, the remarkable true story of the shopping mall gorilla. This is a true story of a gorilla who spent 16 years in a Tacoma, Washington shopping mall in a glass cage so shoppers could be entertained. If you've ever heard of the novel, The One and Only Ivan, yeah. that is the same story. The One and Only Ivan is a book written in Ivan's voice. It is a beautiful read-aloud for grade four or five. But this is the picture book. I have read this book to grade ones, grade threes, grade fives, grade nines. You cannot read a book like this to kids without them interacting. <laughs> they connect. They question. They question they are shocked, they reflect, they respond, they're horrified at this story. It's a a really powerful book that gives us all a moment to stop and go, why is this happening? 15 years in a glass cage? That's ridiculous. Okay, so now we've interacted, now we're on day three. What am I going to read to them? I'm going to introduce them to the most remarkable woman named Jane Goodall. And I'm going to read her biography, and I'm going to tell them that in the world there are some people who actually do care about animals, who do care about animal rights and animal conservation, et cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And our thinking is transformed. It wasn't me that did it, it was the book. I'm just trying to nudge them with those books. So there is a way, and this is the really important thing to remember, I believe we don't give kids enough credit for deep thinking. We don't allow the space in the room for them to get to that place. But we want to make sure that we're giving kids that opportunity. What are you thinking now that you had not thought of before? And so this is kind of that way in to that place. So we've got what, so what, now what. Now, I just want to talk about Transform. Um, Again, remember I told you I've (coughs) sort of revisited this. One of the things I do with Transform books is I want to read books that have kind of particular issues for kids. And so I want them to revisit. Like if we read a book about kindness, they know about kindness, then I read a book, How Is Your Thinking About Kindness Changed Because of the Book. But it was hard for teachers to kind of do that. So I developed this little really simple, but again, I feel it's kind of a very powerful tool. It's called the One Word Activity. And you'll find this One Word Activity in the second edition of my Reading Power Book, but not in the first one, because I haven't really invented it yet. But this is how it works. I choose a book from the Transform List, and I read it, and I choose the theme the kind of the key word that encompasses the story. And before I give the children the story, I give them the word. And we spend three minutes brainstorming in the classroom all of our connections right now to this word. Okay, so you're grade four. I want you to do this. You're grade four. I'm going to put a word up here. And I want you to spend Five seconds, 10 seconds, thinking in a grade four brain. What would grade fours think when they see this word? And then I'm gonna ask you to turn and tell the person beside you, what were three words that came into your head when you saw this word? Okay, ready? Grade four brain, please. (laughs)
1: Christmas, Merry
2: Christmas, this is the present, yeah, like the book today, yes, <laughs> hey, tell
0: your partner, what are you thinking about this word,
2: great what does it make you think about? Christmas, I need a gift, yeah, birthdays, lots of them, yeah,
1: here,
2: yeah. yeah. okay, so, um, present,
0: here's what I'm gonna do, <laughs> I'm gonna take a, a felt, a marker, and I'm going to invite the kids to kind of share their ideas. And as they're sharing with that colored marker, I'm creating a visual web in the class with around the word. So I'm writing Christmas, birthday, wrapping paper, Hanukkah, Lunar <laughs> New Year, lucky envelope, uh, whatever. And then what I want the kids to do is connect it to a feeling. What feelings do you connect to when you see this word? So excitement, surprise, for me it would be disappointment because of my birthday this year. But but all of those kind of words. So this is important. We have taken stock of our thinking right now. Now I'm going to read you a book, and I want you to pay very close attention to your thinking. While I'm reading the book, pay attention. As I said, a lifetime
1: doing a lot of learning.
0: Cool. I learned a lot, but I don't think I understood half of it. So I guess the question is, can children learn things but not understand them? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, they can. Yeah. I did it, and it got me through university. Mm-hmm. Lot, Sorry, guys. On i learned a lot, but I didn't understand this. most of it. Deep understanding happens only when you construct it does not happen when you extract facts, memorize them, and regurgitate them. I yeah. still remember going to, the at UBC, I don't know if any of you went to UBC, but UBC the student drinking hole, watering hole was called the pit,
2: is yeah. called the pit. <laughs> it is called the pit. And That's so nice. I remember
0: in first year, after all the midterms, you know your midterms, and after the first one, you'd go and meet your friends to kind of celebrate one down four to go, And it was Psych 100, that was the midterm, and I had stayed up two nights and memorized all my little recipe cards. (laughs) Who's making a connection? (laughs) then what do I do? I go to the exam and I spew it all out, and then I go immediately to the pit to have a beer to meet my friends and celebrate. Sounds about right. And someone said to me, what was your exam on, Adrian? And you know what I said? I have no yeah. idea. So Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> and he and so, so, but that's, that's, we laugh about that. But it's kind of scary to think <laughs> that that's what our kids were, that's what I was doing. And it's because I learned what I didn't understand, and no one taught me about deep thinking, no one taught me that in order to make it stick, You have to construct meaning. You have to connect. You have to question. You have to visualize. That's what makes it stick. So I see these two as kind of learning is the taking in the memorizing of information on a topic from the teacher or the text. It's literal. And then understanding is that interactive where we are taking the information but developing the new thinking. So that's kind of the transform. Okay, now I'm going to put another two kind of chart thing on, and I'm going to tell you that these are two buzzwords in BC, and I imagine they're kind of buzzwords here project based and inquiry based. Okay, so please have the same conversation. How are these different? How are they the same? What do you know about them? What do you think about them? What does it make you think about? I heard some little rumblings. <laughs> so, how are those different and how are they the same? Just have that conversation.
2: Nikita? <laughs> you're brusheel.
1: What's it? I like
0: the inquiry.
2: It's kind of that idea, of like inquiry. like you're starting with? Yes.
1: Yeah. You yeah. yeah.
2: need yeah. like a, yeah. yeah. a lot of
1: planning on the fly or the Yeah, and like
2: and I, love I feel like what we're taught like like old projects is like we're gonna do a book report. Yeah. Yeah. Here's oh, yeah. the project, here's how it ties to the curriculum yeah. and then like everything we're talking about. Right. Somewhere in between mm-hmm. Okay, exactly.
0: so yeah. yeah two different approaches, and I spent quite a lot of time kind of trying to figure out how are these the same and how are they different, and are they different, and are they the same, and why are we sometimes using these terms interchangeably without really knowing the difference. So, if you go into the internet and just Google word search inquiry-based learning, like that's what I did, what comes up. So, these are some of the things that I found. Inquiry-based classrooms, what is at the heart of that environment, that learning? Time to explore. Student-centered learning. Mm -hmm. Topics connected to student interest. Okay? If you Google search project-based learning, guess what comes up? same thing. Pretty much the same thing. So, how Are they different? Yes, inquiry begins with a question, right? And we explore to find the answer. But I was visiting a school, actually, well, I won't tell you the district. It was a school in Northern BC, and I was visiting the school, I was working in classrooms, and then I was given a tour by the principal, who was very proud of her school because it was kind of on the map as an inquiry-based school. So teachers had had more training and they, had, they always had visitors coming through. And so she said, I'd really love you to come into the grade four class because they're just about to share their inquiry projects that they've been working on for weeks. So I said, sure, I'd love to come. Well, I think it was kind of planned because I walked in and you know, you could kind of tell it was planned. But this little boy, it was great. This little boy was so excited that I was coming because he was thrilled to be able to share his inquiry project with me. So the teacher called them passion projects, which I love, passion projects. What are you passionate about? What are you gonna look and investigate and find out? And so this boy's passion was wolves. And his inquiry question, the front first slide of his PowerPoint or whatever it was he used, Prezi or something amazing, What is so interesting about wolves? Hmm, I thought to myself, is that an inquiry question? It's a question, but what kind of a question is that? So that was in the back of my mind. This little boy clearly was passionate about wolves. I witnessed probably the most extraordinary presentation by a child I've ever seen. There was sound effects. There was the theme song from Dances with Wolves. There was howling wolves in the distance. There was animation like, it was incredible. And I learned so much about wolves. So many interesting things I didn't even know. And so it lasted about 12 minutes. And then the last slide, the last slide was this. And that's what's so interesting. About wolves. Bursts of applause, congratulatory handshakes, big bows. But I remember driving to the airport that day thinking, was that inquiry or was that a project? What do you think? Project. It was kind of a project. And I thought, that was a project. But they called it inquiry, but it wasn't inquiry. Why was it an inquiry? And how can we turn it into inquiry? We have to nudge their thinking. That's the thing, like we have to push them. So to me, I kind of thought about this. Project based is not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. But it is really more the literal project where we're gathering information and we're presenting it and it's fantastic. But inquiry to me has to be more. There has to be some way of articulating how thinking has grown and stretched. That's why before I start inquiry projects, I spend a long time doing the one word activity because I'm building this foundation of understanding that when we learn, we start with a set of information that we already have, but then the idea is we want to branch out. So how, I'm just kind of throwing this out, I haven't researched it or anything, but how could this boy have turned his project into an inquiry? This is what I was thinking about when I was sitting waiting for my plane. If this boy's last slide had not said, and that was what was so interesting about wolves, if this boy's last slide had had something like this, So while I was doing this project, I learned a lot about wolf packs and I learned that wolves spend their entire lives in packs and that wolf packs are very important to their survival. And then I started thinking about the wolves all get along and they all have a role. And they all kind of work together in this kind of way that makes their lives kind of flow. And then that started making me think about humans. And that, you know, we work together, but we don't always get along. I'm just throwing that. I'm just throwing that out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just off the seat of my pants. But can you see what I'm? I'm trying Mm -hmm. to get kids Mm -hmm. to take their thinking away from the content and put it into a new kind of understanding. And that is a way of getting the kids. You have to show, what did this make you think about? That now you're thinking about something in a different way. So, if it was a grade 2 class studying insects, this would be maybe how you would evaluate whether or not they learned it or understood it. So learning a grade 2 child would be able to say, oh, I learned that insects have three body parts, six legs, two wings, and some have compound eyes. Okay, that's learning, but understanding would sound like this. So i used to not like bugs like i used to think they were kind of icky and sometimes if i saw an ant like i would want to step on it and my mom she would like scream sometimes she screams when she sees spiders so in my mind like insects were kind of gross but then i learned (coughs) that some insects make honey some insects eat other insects some insects dig tunnels some insects decompose garbage. And then I thought, actually, insects help us. They really help us. Imagine, what would it be like? Then I started thinking, what would it be like in the world with no insects? And then I thought, maybe we wouldn't even be here. Like, I'm just, again, I'm throwing that out. But that is an example of a different way of thinking about something because you've learned about insects, but you're putting it into a different perspective.
1: So to me,
0: in order to have inquiry and deep thinking and deep understanding and transformed learning, you have to be able to articulate how your thinking has shifted. You you can't just end by saying, and that's what's so interesting about wolves. You have to be able to do that. How do we get kids to do that? We practice nudging their thinking. And we practice making the thinking visible. We show them. This is what we used to think about chocolate. Look how your thinking has grown. It's amazing. That's inquiry. Okay, say something in your group. How is that making sense to you? Does that make sense to you? What have you learned? Talk about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: yeah. No, that
2: actually really clarifies the difference now between project based and inquiry based. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, really hard like, to know how to um, differentiate different 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 different. different different. 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 between. And I think, like, it's, it's still, like, inquiry is still intended as stuff. Yes. Yeah. But not so much because you could make, let's take, for example, a child has to do a presentation about a certain province. Yeah. Well, it's not just about the facts of the province, but what about if it's a different, like, it's not Alberta. How would you convince somebody to live there or not live there? Yeah. Right. Those, so it's like you're building all the evidence yeah. which you're collecting, like a project. But then the next step is to actually say this is why yeah. I would live there, or I, could, you know, could convince somebody to live there. Right. That's that next step because then they're yeah. going to collect the okay, positive so or the negative. Exactly. Um, so, but that's but just giving me um, pictures of this yeah. is not uh, inquiry.
0: If we, if I the way I taught when I first started teaching, I I would be in big trouble because when I first started teaching, this is sort of like the before, Mm -hmm. I felt like my role was all about this. My job was to tell kids what to think. My job was to give them the facts, give them the information, they were going to learn it and they were going to give it back to me. That was what I thought my job was to teach them content. This was way back, like I've been teaching a long time. So it, it, this was kind of what I thought. So it was all about the content. But now something happened, significant, that changed our role. And what happened? The internet, the internet happened.
2: They can just grab and it
0: on the And that completely changed what our job looks like, because no longer do kids need us for knowledge and content, because in a split second, a click, a swipe, or whatever, they can get any information they want. So our job is not to teach them what to think, our job, I see it now, is to teach them how to think, how to make sense of all of that information. So this is all about being a critical thinker, being a deep thinker, being an inquiry-based thinker, whatever you call it. But I started thinking, well, reading power kind of helped kids become thinkers of text, right? And that model really helped make thinking visible. So I started thinking, I needed a model I needed some kind of language and some kind of visual, because I'm a visual person. But I didn't want to make another kid, because I got so much flack about the kid, looking a boy, and then the girl, and I was just so much flack. Um, so I wasn't going to make another child. But I needed a model, and I'm always thinking, what does it look like? What does critical thinking look like? So I Google searched it. That's why I always start, what do other people do? In Ontario, this is their poster in the uh, Librarians, yeah. kind of, whatever, it was the Ontario Library Association. So, I looked at the poster and went, whoa, there's a lot that's of a lot. words on there. I don't know if I want to put that up in my classroom, because I can't even Nobody see read it without it. my glasses. But, there was a couple things on here I liked. I liked the words. I love words, I'm a bit of a wordsmith, so I, I wrote those, some of these keywords down that I liked. Reflecting creating, exploring, investigating, I started liking those and I also liked those arrows. The rest of it I didn't even really read. Not to make anything against the Ontario Library Association, so, but I just, I'm gathering information. Next one I found, I liked a little better because it was a bit simpler, right? But I didn't know if I liked the YouTube thing on there and plus I'm just, but what did I do? I looked at the words, look at the words, interacting. I love that word. Clarification, question, design, so I'm writing all those down. Those are good words too. Then I found this one. There's a special effect. I found this one. I wished I'd made it myself. I wanted to plagiarize it and pretend and lie and say it was mine. I couldn't, but I love the simplicity. I love the words. I love the visuals. I love the flow. When you are thinking critically, you explore, you think, connect, reflect. I love those words. But I couldn't do that one, so I had to kind of make up my own. So my model for powerful understanding is based on three stages our brains go through when we're learning and understanding. The first one is explore. This is the gathering of the content, the investigating, the putting all, like, this is kind of what old school was. Gathering information, collecting facts. But once you've collected all those facts and you have all that new information about whatever your topic is, Terry Fox or Explorers or Insects, once I've gathered all that new information, I don't want to just regurgitate it back to you. I need to think about it. So, oh, sorry, those are my explore words, gather, investigate, examine. Here's my second circle. It's interacting. Interacting is what I've talked about with constructing meaning. Interacting is I'm going to read a little bit and I'm going to think about it. And then I'm going to read and I'm going to make a connection. Read and ask a question. So interacting with the information is I need to think about it. I'm not just gonna rely on the facts, I'm gonna question and connect and visualize. And so that's when you're kind of putting your reading powers into practice. You're applying your reading power strategies. These are some words I like for interacting, that middle kind of one, inquiring, connecting, wondering, inferring, investigating, visualizing. This is how we interact with information. But we're not done yet. No, we are not, because we are all about nudging them to come up with some new understanding. So the very last circle in my model is develop. Develop Mm -hmm. an aha. Aha! I never thought about wolves that way before. I never thought about insects that way before. The aha is when you're taking the information, but you're putting it into a different context of understanding. So, some of my favourite words for that stage of thinking. I love transform, reflect, and construct new meaning. Mm -hmm. So, when you put all these three together, this is my model for powerful understanding, or inquiry, or critical thinking, or whatever it is that we're defining. This is how we want our children to move from the content learning to the interactive to the new thinking, the new understanding to transform. So, do you see the little words and quotations in the circles? I tried to have those for primary teachers as a little cue. What does your brain sound like in each of those three stages? the first circle explore, you're going, hmm, hmm, when you're gathering information. And then the interacting, you're going, huh, oh, huh, and you're questioning and connecting. And then your brain goes, ah, uh-huh. hmm. So in primary classes, we practice this. We go, hmm, ah, huh. And we go through that. Now, I'm not going to do that in a grade 5 class or a 6 class because they're going to laugh you out of the room. So for intermediate children, I still want a little cue. I want a little word to help them understand this flow. So look at the words I used. What? So what? Now what? Do you remember where that came from? It came from this. That's why I'm telling you what I told you before. Everything about the new book kind of came from reading power. It sort of grew out of that. But this is really what we want our kids to do all the time when they're learning. We want them to gather the information. We want them to think about it. But then we want to extend it to that last place of thinking. So. I love that the Reading Power Model works with any text that you are reading. The Powerful Understanding Model works with anything you are teaching your kids. As long as you're using this as that flow of learning. So if you're learning immigration, we first gather information about immigration. Then we interact, we question, we connect with it. Then we have to come up with new understanding. I don't have very many <coughs> special effects in my show. This is why I'm putting all these up, It's only special effects. <laughs> Ready? Oof. there's another one. But I'm just demonstrating that it kind of can go with any, any type yeah. of content. Okay? So then, I told my publisher about my powerful understanding model. She got very excited. She said, I think that's, you, you're to something, Adrian. It's great. But how are you going to model the model in a book? You've got the model, and but that's only going to be like one chapter. How are you going to write the rest of the book? And I said, well, I thought I'd do a chapter on immigration, show how to work, chapter on life cycles, chapter... She goes, no, 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 you can't. You cannot do a content-specific book. Why? Because teachers okay. who teach grade two are going to look at the table of contents. It's going to say immigration or global justice. They're going to say, I don't teach that. I'm not buying the book and she is all about sailing. So she said, you've got to find a different way to model the model. So I thought about that. How am I going to model the model? What am I going to use? What am I going to do? What do I have that every teacher kind of needs to teach? And so in our curriculum that's kind of been redesigned, there's a lot of emphasis on social, emotional learning. So I looked at this, personal and social competencies encompass students abilities abilities students need to thrive as individuals to this is key understand and care about themselves others and to find and achieve their purpose in the world themselves others world I, I'm, I don't know your curriculum, but I would imagine that somewhere embedded in the curriculum is values and teaching kids about getting along with others and emotional literacy, social-emotional competencies. Um, in our BC district, we have this First Peoples Principles of Learning put out by our First Peoples kind of BC group. And when I read this, I started seeing something interesting. Learning requires exploration of one's identity. that self.
1: Mm-hmm. Learning
0: involves consequences of one's actions. There's others. Learning ultimately supports well-being of self, family, community, land, spirit, ancestors, world. So all of a sudden, I kind of had my framework. I kind of had the self, others, world using the powerful understanding model. So one of the things that I did a lot of research on because I didn't know too much about it was this social emotional learning. I didn't really know it was a thing, but it's a thing. It's a big thing. It's a big thing in the states. And I needed to find my guru guy and Jonathan Cohen was kind of the founder of social-emotional literacy, he teaches at the teacher's college, social-emotional. And so I love what he says, to achieve our educational goals, we need to promote social-emotional literacy, as well as the three R's. The purpose of education is to enable children to be lifelong learners and effective citizens. So I kind of felt like this was my way in. I'm going to use the model, but with the critical thinking. Um, So that's kind of critical thinking, or whatever you want to call it, inquiry, or critical thinking, or deep thinking with social-emotional literacy. And this was how I sort of designed the book. Deepening understanding of my identity, who I am, my relationship with others, and my role in the world. And so that's kind of the framework of the book. Um, But I'm going to show you a video, and it's really, really, really short, but very, very powerful. Hands up if you've ever heard of a man named Jack Ma. Okay, I didn't really know who he was. Jack Ma is the kind of equivalent of Bill Gates from China. Jack Ma was a teacher, but he founded the Alibaba Group. The Alibaba Group is like Amazon in China. Jack Ma is a multi-multi billionaire. I heard just about a, a month ago Jack Ma stepped down from his role in Alibaba Group, and he is going to use all of his money to help education. So he's kind of going back to his roots. But I heard him speak. I didn't hear him speak. I heard. I saw a little video clip. I'm going to sh- clip. I'm going to show you from YouTube where he talks about how we need to change the way we teach because the world is changing so quickly. So just give me one second to pull this up. Okay, so this was from the World Economic Forum in 2018 so it's just the last January oh sorry sorry, 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 sorry.
1: Now. If we do not change the way we teach, 30 years
0: later we'll be in trouble. Because the way we teach, the, the thing we talk, teach our kids, are the things past 200 years, is knowledge based.
1: And we cannot teach our kids to compete with a machine who is smarter. We have to teach something unique that is machine can have her job with us. Value. Believing. Independent thinking.
0: Teamwork. Care for others. These are the soft part. The knowledge may not teach you that. Mm-hmm. That's why I think we should teach our kids mm-hmm. on sports, entertainment, uh, the, the music,
1: painting, art, to make sure humans should be different from, everything we teach should be different from machine. If the machine can do better, you have to think about it.
0: Okay, just turn and talk about that. What do you think
2: about that? Well, it used to be the whole tagline, knowledge is power, but I think now it's... You the skills are power but also knowledge is accessible yeah. but it's the dissemination of the knowledge and the connection of it that are need to happen because any kid yeah, can look look something up but then yeah. it's just like a definition look up a definition and then they'll say ah, well I don't really know what that means because yeah. there's no connection to the definition right the computer, that's the difference the computer engineers that I know have said that like once, like machines take over, like teachers, yes. artists, like athletes, those are okay, jobs that so, are yeah. so. It's just a scary thought. <laughs> the
0: shocker for me was that very beginning. I don't know if you missed it. In thirty years, computers are going to just take. So you guys would just be retiring. will be dead. <laughs> house, right? Like that's a shocker. Um, I think it's interesting because he's talking about education in China, I think. He's coming at it from his not. own vantage point. And so he is talking about that knowledge-based learning. Um, I had two thoughts when I saw that. I thought, Jack why you need to come to Canada. Yes, yes. yes. And you need to see that we are moving way beyond mm-hmm. that literal knowledge yes. base. We are doing amazing things. And then the other thing I thought of was Jack Ma, you're promoting my book, and you've never even read it. I got kind of excited. I feel like I should send him a copy. Okay. It's like everything that I was just kind of exploring, he was talking about. So it's kind of exciting.
2: He probably has a place in Vancouver. Okay,
0: so here's how my new book is kind of framed. Um, after my introduction to the model, the powerful Powerful Understanding Model, I have three big chapters. I have a chapter I call mirror, a chapter I call window, and a chapter I call satellite. So basically these are three big idea explorations. The first is looking in at our identity and who we are. The second is looking out to the others close by proximity, friends and getting along with others, inclusion, care for others. And then the satellite is kind of our role in like global citizenship and global kind of understanding. So there's different ways you can use this book. You can use this as a framework for your (coughs) year, term one, term two, term three. Or you can pick and choose lessons that work for whatever it is you're teaching. Um, But the whole idea is that we're using the powerful understanding model To nudge their thinking beyond just, here's what I learned, here's what I'm thinking about, but now I'm thinking about it in a different way. So giving a little bit of that emphasis on that third circle, which is that develop. So we've got self, we work on that, and then others, and then the world. But that is the framework for all of them. So, I'm going to take you kind of quickly into one and give you a few ideas of how it works. Um, But, the Understanding Self chapter, these are all the sort of scripted lessons within that. And one of the things that you know if you've read my other books, I, I write my lessons out kind of like a recipe. And so, I give you the questions you want to post to your kids. I give you some anchor book recommendations for each of these lessons and then I kind of tell you, you know, kind of how the lesson would go, and then often there's a Black Flying Master you could use too. So, this is all of the pieces that I believe make up who we are as people. This is who our identity is. Our identity is not just our name and our occupation, but it's all of these different pieces. And then others kind of focuses on kind of getting along with people, getting along with friends, and the kindness, empathy, inclusion, diversity, all those sort of topics of kind of that social-emotional competencies we want our kids to kind of focus on. And then understanding the world, again, I said I I did focus a lot on global citizenship, global education, um, making a difference in the world. And our role And this lesson on privilege and poverty what is the difference there. So there's a lot of kind of more, you know, sort of global aspects. So if we're looking at the first big idea chapter, which is understanding self, um, this is my anchor book for understanding self to launch the whole chapter. It's a very simple book that really explores the question who am I? Who am I? Who are you? Why are you, you, and I'm me? Why am I not you, you? It's just a bunch of deep thinking questions, but I love it because they all revolve around this idea of identity. Now, the reason I talk so much about the one word activity is I use that a lot in this book. But I wanted to make sure that the children had a little practice in the one word. So I often would do some lessons before, like from the transform. But then, rather than just giving them one word, I'm going to give them the big idea question. So this is how we start the unit, exploring this question, who am I? And this is kind of stemming from this whole thing about identity. If somebody asked me, who are you, if I thought to myself, who am I? The first thing that would come out of my mouth would be my name, right? I'm Adrian here. But there's more to me than just my name. I might say, oh, I'm I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, I'm a writer. That's who I am. But there's more to who we are than just our names and what we do. So I'm going to give you a piece of paper grade threes. This is because I did this with the grade three class. I'm going to give you a piece of paper grade threes with this question on it. It's a big question. So I've left lots of space for you to try to answer. So remember, this is the pre kind of paper. This is kind of taking stock of our thinking right now before we've explored. So a lot of the kids, um, it's very interesting how grade two, the twos and threes, have this urge, who are you, is a lot to do with your birthday. That's a very important part of an to his identity. And the other thing that was very uh, common in all of these, they love to tell me their likes and dislikes. It became this theme in the class. I like this, I don't like this, I like this, I don't like this, I'm good at this, I'm not... All very egocentric a little bit. But remember, this was the start of this unit. So hold on to these papers, because we're going to come back to them at the end. So then the next series of lessons, I've taken these I, the idea of kind of, I, I like to kind of frame it as a jigsaw. And we're putting together a puzzle, answering that question, who am I? And so each day or each lesson is another piece that we're putting into this identity puzzle of who we are. And so I want to kind of explore that. So the very first one is my name. I love this lesson so much. I love the lesson because a lot of kids can easily say their first, middle, and last name. But these are my big questions. What is the story? of my name. Mm -hmm. Who named me? What does my name mean? How does my name connect to my culture, family, or identity? I want you to think of your name right now. Your first, middle, and last name. Do you know the story of your name? Could you answer any of those questions? Who named (laughs) you in your family? Are you named after anyone? How is your name connected? Most adults know the story of their name. My middle name was my mother's name, Sheila. That's a very important name to me, especially because my mom's no longer alive. And so that middle name is just such a really important part of me. So, But kids, 7- and 8-year-olds, they don't know the story of their name. So one of the things we're doing is we're trying to explore that. Um, and so we have anchor books, and we read stories to the kids. Thunderboy Junior is my kind of indigenous connection. I'm always trying to bring these books in. But Thunderboy Junior is a little boy who's named after his dad, who's Thunderboy Senior, but he doesn't like his name because he doesn't want to have the same name as his dad. And the Change Your Name shops about a little girl who decides she wants to go shopping for a new name because she tries on a whole bunch of different ones. So great little kind of anchor books to start the conversation. And then the children get this piece of paper, and part of it is kind of a little homework assignment. They have to go home and ask their mom or dad, what, are, what is the story of my name? And they come back and they share this. They're so excited. To tell their story, their name stories. They share with a partner. We come together as a group. They all want to share with the class. I love this one. Something interesting about my name is that in the whole world, I am the only Tessa Sophia Young Wing Clog Wong. I would, I would agree with you. You're probably the only person. Now, here's what's really important to kind of just kind of sit on for a minute. We've read. We've asked the question.
2: Is that our blackout? No. no. It's from your computer.
1: It's your battery. It's on low. Yeah. It's from the
0: install. 50% left battery
1: power. Yeah. <laughs> it's adorable. I think that was the signal to the staff. It came from the sky. I don't think
0: it came here.
2: Okay, from the sky. What
0: time is it now? 7.25. Okay, okay. Fasten your seatbelts and we'll go fast. Um, here's the one thing I really want you to just to know. At the end of this lesson, usually after we share, the lesson's done. It was a great lesson. Yeah. I read, we talked to our parents, we brought our stories back to our classroom and we shared but we're not finished because we're gonna push them to that last circle. Here are the questions I want them to think about. What are you thinking now about your name that you haven't thought of before? How is your thinking stretched? Here's what a grade four child wrote. Actually didn't write, said it. When I was doing all these lessons with my class, I had a little notebook and I'm scribbling. Here's what I want you to, one thing I want you to take away from today, lean in, Lean in and listen. Listen to your kids share their thinking. It is remarkable the things that I heard when kids were talking. Here's what someone said. So I didn't really know about my name. It was just like, you know, what people called me. But now I know that I was named, my mom named me after her sister who died when she was really little. Now I know that I'm named after my auntie who died which is kind of sad that I never knew her, but I kind of feel happy that I get to have her name, like my auntie is a part of me. I never really thought about my name too much, but now I think I like it better because I know the story. If you don't lean in and you don't give them time for that last Mm -hmm. stretch of thinking, you're not gonna hear or see or witness this. But this is that time and place for reflection that we have to give our kids. Okay, another little um, part of this is um, unique. These are some of the I can statements that are also in the book. I can identify some of my physical and personal characteristics, and I can demonstrate pride. So it's about pride in what makes me unique. Unique on the outside, unique on the inside, and unique in something that I can do that maybe somebody else can't. So these were my anchor books. And then I do, uh, this lesson is called I Have, I Am, I Can. What's a unique feature about yourself that no one else has but you really kind of are proud of? I have a brown dot on my finger. I really <laughs> like that brown dot because when I throw, the brown dot throws too. I really <laughs> like that brown dot. <laughs> so, and I am, so this of me, a character trait, I'm curious because I wonder about lots of things like how does the world ever end and how do humans get created, and then uh, what is something that you're really good at, hooray for me, I can play the piano, and so this is called, I have, I am, I can, but it's just celebrating my unique characteristics, okay, at the end of this, here's what another student said, I had never really thought I was handsome, I is kind of big and lumpy. <laughs> <laughs> my nose is crooked, just like my grandpa's. And also, I'm the only one who can walk on stilts. Who am I? I'm a handsome kid with a crooked nose who can walk on
1: stilts.
0: book, The Great Big Book of Families, the one on the right by Mary Ann Holberman. The reason I like this book is this first double page has a white picket fence, a beautiful house, a Caucasian mother, a Caucasian father, a little white boy, a little girl, and a dog. And on the bottom the line says, When I was little, every family in every book I read looked like this. But my family didn't. And so then the whole I get goosebumps. The whole book is how every family is unique. And every family matters, even if there's just two people in your family. So this book covers all the different kinds of families. What makes your family special? What makes my family special is that they all love taking selfies. Once my sister took a selfie on the
1: road.
0: And then that's. Then we do the development of, you know, that. Then we, I'm gonna go through these really quick. So, a cultural heritage is a big part of who we are. Where does your family come from? And then we talk about elders and grandparents. That's a huge part of our identity, and I really wanna celebrate that wisdom and the whole connection to elders and indigenous. um, So I love this, and they talk to their grandparents about when their grandparents were little, personal preferences. We talk about moral compasses and this becomes a really good a lesson on kind of paying attention to your moral compass. Like is that right from wrong and you have to listen to it and sometimes we, we, we hear it but we don't do that and so we talk about that. I want to talk about Sergio's bike is about a little boy who sees a woman drop ten dollars. And he, and he does not listen to his moral compass. If he'd listened to his moral compass, he would have picked up the money and given it back. But he wants a bike like Sergio's, so he takes the money and he puts it in his pocket. And when he gets home and takes the money out, he thought it was a $10 bill, but was actually a $100 bill. So now the dilemma just got bigger, and the moral compass is even louder. He decides he needs to take the money back, so he puts it in his backpack, takes it to school, and guess what happens? Someone steals his money. It's not really his money, it's the woman's money. It's such a good book for moral dilemmas. I want to tell you about that because I want to talk about this boy in grade 4 so this was kind of, this one makes me laugh. This is a moral dilemma from the book I read, not Sergio. And then, what is a moral dilemma this grade 3 child ever had? My moral dilemma is, should I do the laundry? Okay, That's not a moral dilemma in my life. It's kind of a necessity. Okay, but listen to the new thinking of this child. Listen to this child. Uh, this, this one just gives me goosebumps. So Sergio's bite kind of reminded me of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So Charlie found some money like Sergio and he kept it. Then he spent the money and ended up finding a golden ticket and his life totally changed. Something great happened to him, even though he kind of stole that money. So when is it okay to listen to your moral compass? (laughs) And when isn't it? Wow. Wow. Oh, and like that's such a big big And that's the thing. You give them a chance and look what they, not all the kids, but some. Lean in and listen, and here is um, the last one. Is sort of like marching to your own drum and being who you are, and you know just that. Okay, so I want to show you this kind of a few more slides, but this one. Okay, we've done all the pieces. Our jigsaw puzzle piece—they're all filled. We have learned and explored who we are through all these lessons, all these books, all these great activities. But at the very end. We're going to revisit our original question, who am I? What I did is I photocopied their original, now it became black and white. So I glued it in the center of a large paper, so they have lots of white paper around. And I said, with colored pencils, show me how your thinking has stretched who are you, is different now than before when we started. So this is kind of the example of how that kind of grew. And that's why I really wanted to talk about that one-word activity. Because the one-word activity in Reading R has turned into this really powerful kind of way of getting kids to visibly expand their thinking. She still had to tell me that I love lollipops. She couldn't help herself. But... Really, really kind of important there. Okay, so I'm just going to have you talk in your group. What did you like? What Say something about that unit or the book or anything that you're kind of thinking about.
2: It's so much bigger than doing that, like the poster that you do of Who Am I's. You bring back, right? Yeah. Yeah. That connection. Yeah. I totally want to like... Yeah.
0: You can yeah. So yes,
1: free, yeah yes. Very yeah. much, yeah. 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 makes our own jobs easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're just going to cross curricular, right? You have your yeah. mental health and wellness yeah. and your health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have your religion component. Yeah. You you know, know, kind of your, you even know, even some paths. social some social yeah, studies. I, um, yeah. Yeah. I know that we are on a really tight
0: uh, time restriction because of the lights to uh, go out. You know, the what is it called? The lockdown.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Also, I know that there's the bar, only a certain amount that we can all <laughs> take in after a day of teaching. Um, <laughs> There's a lot more that I would love to show you, but what I hope that you're leaving today with is, first of all, first and foremost, I want you to have lessons. That's always important to me. When I go to workshop, I want to walk out with things I can do. But the other thing that's always important to me is that something has happened in your thinking, you've experienced a little bit of a shift in thinking either about inquiry, about reading comprehension, about ways that we can stretch our children's thinking. And so I'm I'm hoping that that's what's happened to you today in this very short time together. Um, And I do really appreciate all of your time and energy coming here. Um, I'm gonna end with what I love, which is picture books. And I truly believe that picture book authors respond to the world. And they respond in a way that gives us, teachers, a way in. And so I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of that. When the Syrian refugee crisis kind of hit, there was an onslaught of writers who gave us the books to use in our classrooms to help kids understand what it is like to be a new immigrant, what it is like to feel different. And so there was this huge response to immigration. Amazing books that came out. Um, Refugees, and all of the books that kind of help us understand what it is like to live there. These are the books that help us nudge the kids. And then, oh this one is new, but I've never heard of this before. Climate Refugee. People that are forced to move from their homes because of global warming, like that's—I'd never—that's—that was transforming for me. But it's—it's it's refugees and the people who are experiencing these most are the indigenous people who live in you know the Nunavut and places where it's melting. Um, truth and reconciliation, another surge, surge as soon as. As soon as this kind of became at the forefront of our teaching, this surge of books came out. And the books were there for us to use to help our kids learn and grow and understand. There's so many. Um, But now it's 2018, and I don't know about you, but I've got this bad sort of feeling in my stomach that the world has taken a bit of a downward turn. And because of that feeling, I think picture book authors are responding to that anger, to that hatred, to that way of interacting with other people. And they're bringing forth these amazing books about hope and kindness and love. And so I just want to end with saying what is our job, what is our role, What is What are we trying to do in our classroom? And here's what I want to be able to do. So here we are in our classrooms, and what do we really, really want our kids to teach? This is my last slide. I spent a long time kind of trying to do it, so it's kind of like my grand finale. (laughs) Here we are, what do we want to teach our kids? We want to teach them about life and all that that means. Life of Our Lives and Life of Other Creatures and Animals is an amazing book by Cynthia Ryland. We want them to understand how to love themselves and how to love other people. We want to teach them to be kind. And this book about kindness is one of the best ones that's come out. It is actually giving kids specific examples of kindness. Not just the words be kind, but the actions of kindness. We also want them to be able to say, you know what? Come with me and be my friend. And this amazing book, The Big Umbrella, there's room under this umbrella for everyone. The inclusion of this book, unbelievable. And when should we start doing this? We need to do it now. And that is my end, and I want to thank each and every one of you for coming. Thank you so, so much.